This is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. A weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together. Make us happy. Make us whole. Make us human. Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. I hope you're loving our conversations with friends. Maybe we should do, do this every year in May. Yeah, or April, Just April, May. Conversations in May. Mm-hmm. May. Conversations with friends in May. I'm, we actually, they're have, all going to drop in May. We got to come up with a tagline for that because it's not very interesting. Okay, May. We're, we're working on it. It's a half-baked idea. Yeah, <laughs> work in not- progress, work in progress. <laughs> So today we're so excited to have Zach Anderson joining us. Zach is a longtime friend of the pod. Such a longtime friend. Such a longtime friend. And he is an attorney in Nebraska. So congratulations to you Nebraskans for being represented on today's podcast. And we <laughs> first time. First time. Is it? I don't know. Someone's going to yeah. be like, I'm from Nebraska. <laughs> You're right. Um, and actually, but actually, Zach is not from Nebraska. He's from the same hometown as Joy, which is like a fun little fact. Right. And Zach has been going through quite the personal transformation over the past few years. He has been deconstructing from the Mormon church for a handful of years. And then about um, six or seven months ago, he came out as gay and has been sort of rebuilding himself since uh, last fall. And fun fact is that we were actually supposed to record with him uh, like the day before before he came the day after he came out and he called me and was like maybe we should reschedule the podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit just a lot going on in my life right now just a lot going on so welcome zach hi hi, hi. uh i feel like i'm uh fangirling in a major way because i remember back in the early days of girls gone wild and i was like who are these women i need to meet them and then I've met you both, and now I'm here. Yeah, you are. Um, I, hold on, I left out a really important fact. You're also you also are a dad. She's like the cutest little. She's about 14 months. Hold on, where are we? We're almost in May, so she's like 19, 20 months. Oh my gosh, what? I know. I thought her it's birthday wild. Was, this is like the time warp. Um, and she's so cute. Her name is Maeve. She's just like the cutest little thing. She is the cutest. But I do feel like we've been. Fr- you're one of our podcast friends that I just feel like we're friends in real life. And we have, we do have a lot of people like that in our lives from the podcast where I'm like, oh, you're, it's surprising to me that you have yet to be, to, you've yet to be on the podcast because we've known you for so long and we've followed you on Instagram. You followed us on Instagram. We've met you in person. It just feels like one of those instant connections. And so I'm really excited to, to chat and catch up with a friend in real time here on the podcast. That means the world. I mean, I, being the listener that I have been for so long, I feel like I've been, through all of your phases and how many parallels I felt have been happening. So it's like I'm listening to your conversations and I was like, oh my gosh, there are like so many things that are happening in my life that I can relate with or that I didn't come to appreciate what you were talking about until much later in life. And so mm-hmm. like I even reflect back on some of the conversations I've listened to the two of you have and still is meaningful. So it makes me even more excited to have this in person. So let's just talk with like a, let's start with a pretty basic question. Like, how are you doing? It's been a year. <laughs> how are uh, you? <laughs> It's been a wild ride. I, ooh, it's a loaded question. My, I feel like my life has kind of imploded in so many ways last nine months, especially. I guess I came out in September. So, um, you know, when you come out at 37 years old after, you know, being married to a woman and um, having a child, restructuring the whole process of your upbringing. It's a lot. And I have been in a consistent state of questioning and 
trying to have a lot of curiosity about myself rather than being really harsh on myself, which is new territory and hard enough as it is. So right now, um, I'm doing fair. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, I still have really good days and I still have horrible days. And that's one of the best parts though about rebuilding is I feel like I've had this moment to really acknowledge my feelings and not try to just like pass them away or put them into a box or trying to um, discount them and actually honoring them. And I think that that's actually been one of the most powerful things that I've been doing. So that's the reality of, I'm not going to say that I'm good because I'm not, but I remind myself on a regular basis that it's not okay right now, but it will be. And so when I keep on having that mentality that like, I have a lot of room to like regrow, I have a lot of hope in that. Thank you. I think that's like a very honest answer. And you came from a situation that not only is everyone, everyone's per own personal journey to decide to come out, but you have a background of a lot of religious trauma. And so that's like layer on top of layer on top of layer with a religion that I don't know, speak to this, like a religion that doesn't support the LGBTQIA community. I, I, I've, I've been so like far from it since I was like left that town that I don't remember the stance that the Mormon church has on LBGTQIA community. It's a really interesting time, I feel like, to be either associated with Mormonism or even be like Mormon adjacent. You know, even though I consider myself ex-Mormon, I still like, I do consider myself Mormon adjacent very much because it was so much of my upbringing. For sure. Um, for those of you, I mean, if you don't know, Mesa, Arizona, where, you know, um, Joy and I grew up. grew up is predominantly Mormon. Probably, I would say like, for me, 80% of my high school was Mormon. Probably 90% I would say. But, <laughs> yeah. like, and I think I heard a statistic, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I believe it, that per capita, Mesa, Arizona had more Mormons than I wouldn't be, like Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City, I wouldn't Utah. be the least bit surprised. And so, but right now the media is especially drawing attention to it. BYU just had their graduation last week. There was a student who uh, who placed a pride flag inside of her uh, she sewed like robe. a rainbow flag onto yes. the inner lining of her gown of her graduation and, gown and when she walked the stage she opened it up so everyone could see it and that is a very radical act at a university like BYU like, yeah and just in case people don't know Brigham Young University is a predominantly Mormon university 99% of, I went there yeah, yeah and 99% of the people who go there are Mormon and the 1% are usually athletes yeah. So, it, and it's, con yeah. And it's considered, I, I, is it considered like a gold standard if you're Mormon to go to BYU either in Hawaii or Salt Lake City? <laughs> is it in Provo yeah. or you? It's in, yeah, it's in Provo. Okay. So um, yes, I, we were like, we are going to the Lord's university. You know, like there is a very, you think very highly of yourself when you get into the school and it's like, and it's an objective just to be like, wow, I must be doing really well. Like I got into the BYU because there's also one in Hawaii and one in Idaho as well. When you are there, you are held to a very strict code of conduct that is very much tied to the Mormon sort of code of The same conduct. standards as the Mormon religion. Is it kind of implied that way? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So regardless of whether if you're Mormon or not, um, you are expected to abide by what's known as the honor code. And, you know, it involves your the way that you dress. Um, men, are, men are not allowed to have beards. Um, they can have mustaches, though. Don't understand that because that's not odd. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and yes, uh, there's like, you have to be in by a certain time. You technically can't go into another person's bedroom. That's of the opposite sex. 
Um, and it's very much a mentality of you have to like be truthful with your ecclesiastical leaders and the leaders of the university. But if you're not, if someone sees something that you're doing, you are also expected to tell on them and report them them to the honor code. So it's like this constant mentality of being very aware of what your actions are, but also being very aware of if someone else is seeing them because you might get reported. Totally fine. And this is like during a time where you're just developing all your instincts about how to like socialize and relate as an adult to the world. Absolutely. And it's, I, (laughs) I am really grateful for the opportunity that I had to go to BYU. I mean, obviously I went there as a, as a collegiate athlete, I swam in college. And so I didn't really pay for much of my college education. It's also subsidized by the Mormon church. If you are Mormon, I think the tuition was something like $4,000 a year, which for that good of an education is right for like the equivalent of like a pretty, like a really good state school. Like that's like, I I almost consider BYU. I know that BYU is not the Utah state school, but in some ways it sort of it's at that level. Right. But you are also, so I went from already a really predominant uh, Mormon community to an even more predominant Mormon community where I was expected to, you know, take everyone essentially graduates with a minor in religion, even though we aren't awarded that. And so we all take 15 or 16 hours of religion credits. That's very specific to uh, Mormon indoctrination and the way that they, you know, do certain things. And so when you grew up in these types of environments, especially for someone like me who grew up, no, deep down knowing that they were a gay man or at least attracted to men and the type of dialogue that I experienced within Mormonism, but then was also put in as part of my education and the way that I was, you know, um, educated was very, I guess, I mean, it was traumatic. It was spiritual and religious trauma and abuse because I was cause to hide even more parts about myself and you and to also be an environment where you don't necessarily feel safe to talk about those types of experiences knowing that someone else might turn you in because you are attracted to someone of the same sex that you can't even find out or experience doing things with people that are the same sex and even some you know if you think about it people of the opposite sex and that's why so often people get married so young there. Like I was one of the few people who left BYU not married. I, you know, I had so many teammates and friends who got married while they were there. And so you have all of those experiences. And also while I was there, um, you know, I saw a school counselor, one of the school therapists that, you know, was obviously paid by the university and it was a conversion therapist and he still practices at BYU. And so you are indoctrinated in so many ways and you are led to believe that this is what you're expected to do and, and these types of um, things. So when we're seeing this in the media where, you know, the student Jillian, or I believe is her name, where she is coming out, like literally and doing such a radical, courageous act for those of us who are alumni, we're just like, holy shit. Like, you know, I graduated 13 years ago. And for me to be able to see that is just really powerful and to be able to see more of the courage and the dialogue that's that's taking place there, I think is really powerful. And I think it's, I'm glad that you're sort of like speaking to how intense that experience of seeing her is because when I see that, like, you know, I grew up in Boulder, like, you know, I have maybe the like opposite, you know, I was like, right. You're like in the capital of rainbows. I'm like in the capital of rainbows, <laughs> like my high school, like the largest extracurricular club was the gay straight Alliance. <laughs> like it, to me, when I saw that, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like it didn't, it didn't hit me 
for how significant that would be in that community or how like, you know, how big of a, an act of bravery that would really take. Cause for me, it's just, it's sort of, it was sort of the equivalent of like, you know, the drunk frat kids sort of like flashing their, their boxers as they walked off the stage or something where you're like, ah, it's sort of a prank. Not that I viewed it as a prank, but just sort of like, oh yeah, people kind of do stuff as they're walking off the stage. Like that's the thing that happens. It's interesting also to think about, I, I hadn't really thought about what you just said around, you're not able to have those intimate experiences, not only to with the opposite sex, but even with the same sex. And in that time where you are, I think about this a lot. I think about that there is like a lot of kind of bisexual erasure in college where people will say like, oh, I'm in my phase of experimenting. And it's like, you might be bi. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Like you might not be interested in quote unquote experimenting with the opposite sex. Like not everyone's interested in that. You know, and I think that we have these perceptions of like, oh, everyone quote unquote goes through a phase. Like, no, they don't. Mm -hmm. And I wish that that was talked about more because I think that you have, you know, that it is sort of this erasure of a true part of someone that they might just think is like, oh, like everyone has these questions. Like, no, everyone does not have those questions. Everyone does not have, you know, to have those instincts towards the opposite sex or towards the same sex. But even to your point of like not even being able to have an experience with the opposite sex and think like, well, that wasn't what I was expecting. (laughs) Even just that could have been so clarifying. Right. Well, and to be honest with you, I didn't have my first kiss until I was 23. I know that I, I can't say that that was an experience for anyone, but I, you also have to realize that the way that I was indoctrinated was what evangelicals might call purity culture. That might sound familiar to people. We in Mormonism called the law of chastity. And so, you know, essentially that's not any sex before marriage. You know, they use the terms like no necking or petting, which I didn't even know what that meant. So, wait, yeah, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. No what? Necking or petting. I'm okay, sorry. I have to repeat. Petting? Yeah. No petting. <laughs> yeah. I made you repeat it. I'm just like, oh, it makes me queasy thinking about it. But, you know, I like. Just, can we just use the word? I feel like we need to bring back the word snogging. Okay. Wait. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no snogging. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we we're taught not, you know, to be really cognizant of our, you know, sexual behaviors or desires or anything like that. But then added on top of that was, again, knowing that I even as being attracted to men, and what the Mormon church described as a struggling, quote unquote, with same sex attraction, that it's always seen as an affliction or as a struggle, then you can't, like, you just don't do it at all. So I really took it as, okay, if And then if you don't do these types of things, if you're super obedient, and if you do everything that Mormonism teaches you, that those afflictions, that those struggles of being attracted to the same sex are going to go away. So I really started to take the mentality of, you know, like, well, if that's going to be the case, then I need to just abstain from everything. So then that way, like, it's not even in the realm of like, I guess, possibilities either. And so you know, I can't say that my experience was the same for other Mormons. I know plenty of people that I went to high school with that certainly did more than making out that were Mormon. But uh, the way that I was indoctrinated, at least with being a gay man, was these are, you know, these are the things that I have to do. And this is like an affliction that you have and you can outperform it. Correct. Yes. And 
first of all, that's a really hard habit to get out of, which I think is probably when you ask me like, how am I doing? Hey, guess what? Like I am learning to overcome that right now because I even sent my, so I'm in therapy and see a life coach right now. And I even messaged my um, life coach the other day. It was this meme. It was just like, well, everyone knows that you go to therapy to be able to prove that you're the favorite, right? Like that's exactly my mentality, like my desire. What's that other, there's another tweet that's like, I like want to win at therapy, something that is both normal to want and possible to achieve. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'm convinced that I am my therapist's favorite because I make him laugh and swear. And I don't think he does that in front of his other clients. Right. That's really Um, funny. I actually had a client uh, message me one time and she was like, I am your favorite, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Getting out of those types of patterns, like this is a new experience for me to be able to do that. And so um, I think one of the more challenging parts is leaving, I kind of informally left Mormonism about five years ago, and then I made a formal decision to remove my records from the Mormon church, which doesn't sound significant to a lot of people. But if you are in Mormon circles, you know, that's actually a very significant act. Um, it's similar to excommunicating. I was going to say is like excommunication. And I'd love to, for you to just talk like very briefly, like what it really means to leave the Mormon religion. Yeah. Um, because I, it, because I know it so intimately and you know it way more intimately than I do is I don't know if everyone truly gets, if you don't know Mormonism and if you haven't been, and I also want to be very clear that like, and I've heard you talk about this on interviews with other podcasts of like, if that is your religion, we are not here to bash it. I just think it's really important for people who may be struggling. And this goes for any religion or any type of questioning that you have where you may not feel like you fit in or you're othered. Like that's really kind of like the broad message is this is not an, this is not an attack on the Mormon religion per se, but like the othering that happens is in religions. And this just happened to be your religion. But I also think it's important to make sure people understand how powerful it is when you are in a religion such as Mormonism, that your identity is like from day one, that is who you are, as opposed to like, I was raised Catholic. Yeah, we kind of joke like Catholicism as yeah, your sinner, da, da, da. but I, I wasn't I didn't like 99.9% identify like my whole life wrapped around it. It was just like something I did on Sundays. And like, we kind of, you know, we would go to the church services and, you know, practice Good Friday, you know what I mean? Like Lent, all of that type of thing, but it wasn't like 99.9% of my identity. So I think that's important for people to understand. So that when you are talking about it, it's not there's there's like some foundation of how how much is wrapped up inside of you around this religion. Right. I really appreciate that you brought about that. And I, I try to make it clear when I do talk about this. I have a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of people that I do love that choose to stay within Mormonism. And I respect their decision to stay. And I'm very glad that they feel comfortable and that they feel at peace with that decision. And I am not saying that like in a condescending way, like I legitimately mean that, but I, that's also, I think it is important to have these types of conversations for people who have been harmed, who have been traumatized, who have experienced something very different than what they did. So I want to honor other people's experiences who choose to stay within Mormonism or any religion, while also drawing attention to the fact that there are many of us who did not have that experience and there are repercussions that we want to be able to talk about and that we want to help people feel like they're not alone because I want to make it real that that loneliness is 
very, very real for those of us who are either questioning or leaving Mormonism. And for so long, I felt alone. So, you know, growing up in a predominantly Mormon community, going to BYU, I served a mission for the Mormon church. You know, I did did. it all. You went on a mission. Where did you go? I went to Oregon. So I did not, you know, go to, you know, Africa. Midwest though, man. It's like even more uh, as a closeted gay man, you're just kind of like. Oregon? Yes, Oregon. Oh, I thought you said, uh, sorry. I don't know why I was thinking Midwest. I was like, is Oregon the Midwest? (laughs) But I'm in the Midwest now. So yeah. I thought, um, I was thinking Ohio for some reason. It's uh, early and whatever. (laughs) Still. It's I'm okay. really bad at physical geography. Like I hate. I oh really? Just, I like, think you'd be so really bad. Good at it. You would think I would, right? But like, there's something about the United, like the states of the of the United States. I don't know where any of them are. I just yeah, literally this week found out where South Dakota was. So like that, it touches Minnesota. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't know where it was in my brain. It just was like floating on space. But so when you said that, I was like, "Is Oregon in the?" <laughs> <laughs> like, it might be. Claire, you're right. Your gut feeling is right. <laughs> yeah. Trust that. Um. Anyway, so I digress. So you did. So no. you served a. You served on a mission for two years. Yes. Went. You know. Went back to BYU. And then one of the reasons why I chose to go to the law school that I did is there was a significant number of Mormons who went to that university, and then. The dean of the law school at the time and also one of the professors was also Mormon. And they ended up being my ecclesiastical leaders as well while I was in law school. So kind of kind of interesting experiences having professors also be, you know, the leaders of the congregation. So that was very much embodied in in who I was. And, you know, everyone knew that I was Mormon. I can't tell you the number of people who I bring to church functions or you know, even I was a really, uh, I was a really good missionary. I converted well over 50 people, even after, outside of my mission, there are, you know, five to 10 people that I helped convert. One is my ex-spouse. So it was a major part of who I was and even converting people and, and bringing them into, you know, Mormonism. And one of the, in around 2014 was when I started to really have, or at least was willing to address a lot of the questions that I had. In Mormonism, one of the big things, if, if any of you have seen the Book of Mormon musical, which for some people, you know, it's high, highly irreverent. But when I saw, I didn't know if I was supposed to laugh or cry because mm-hmm. it actually mm-hmm. was my trauma yeah. while at the same time making light of it. And sure. I, I think people outside of Mormonism, like appreciate it, but the full appreciation, again, as a gay ex-Mormon person who served a mission, like that the parallels are pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the jokes that they make in the musical are around if you are, you know, there's songs around like, turn off your feelings, if you have attraction to men, uh, and they take, they make light of like understanding that that's going to happen, but you're supposed to just like turn off your feelings, crush it, it, put it uh, in a box and put it in a box and put it away. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to hear you say that, like, you're not sure you weren't sure if you're, you were supposed to laugh or cry as someone who has really no background. uh, You know, I didn't grow up in a Mormon town as we have already discussed. I, I remember seeing that musical and thinking like, wow, I hope that's not how it really is. We were told to put any issues that we had into a box and put that box on the shelf. Well, one of the big things that happens eventually is your shelf starts to break. And I started to notice that my shelf was starting to break. And, and uh, fortunately, my ex-spouse, she was really actually very instrumental in, in helping me start to take down a lot of those boxes and to start to be able to unpack them. And I actually connected with my best friend from college. Her in-laws were some of the few people that somehow we realized that we could trust with a lot of the concerns that we had. Because the other hard part is once you have these things, who can you talk to about 
this that isn't trying to rope you back into it, but is willing to be able to have some really honest and very vulnerable conversations that aren't judgmental because the answers would always be, you just need to pray harder. You just need to try harder. You need to be more, more obedient. And guess what? I've done all that before. Like I recognize that to a T. And so it was really powerful to be able to feel like I could have that, that support tool. I hate to keep referring to to tweets and memes, but it actually seems fitting because that's like 90% of how you and I communicate is I saw one the other day that said like, if being hard on yourself worked, it would have worked by now. I think that obviously applies to so many situations, but I think that that is like exactly kind of what you're speaking to here that you pretty much were just told time and time again, like if you are confused or concerned or questioning or whatever, it's, it's your fault. It is not the fault. You know, it is not because there is flaw or, or inconsistency or whatever with the information. It is that you, you are at fault for having these questions. And that's one of the big things that even now I'm working through is I still feel a lot of shame because I was indoctrinated to believe that if I didn't try hard enough, if I didn't do these types of things, then I clearly, you know, like I could have overcome my sexuality. And even me knowing inherently knowing that I'm gay, when you're indoctrinated with that, it takes forever to be able to get out of that. I know it's going to take me a lot longer to be able to to get out of that, but that's what I was led to believe. And so anytime that you are questioning these types of things and not doing it like where you're led to believe you're not enough, you are seen to, to be seen as the broken one in this situation. And so when I started to finally question, have these types of conversations, and I started to realize that there are other resources, it's just, it takes a lot of time and energy to be able to find those resources and who you can trust. And so, you know, in 2016, I was seeing a therapist and I was telling him he was not Mormon. He knew nothing about Mormonism. And he was like, what happens if you just don't go? And I was like, oh, wait, that's an option. Like you just, you just stopped going. And so that's what happened. I just stopped going. And I was like, oh, there are a lot of parts of me that feel a lot better. Like, and so that kind of led into this experience of being able to really unpack a lot of those things from those shelves. And in the pandemic is when I started to unpack a lot of things with my sexuality. And it wasn't surprising. I had a lot of alone time, you know, and I had, it was also in the height of when my daughter was going to be coming. And so uh, I recognized I need to kind of figure some of my own shit out in this moment. And I don't want to pass on my religious or my spiritual trauma or my generational trauma to my daughter. And so as a result of that, I formally made the decision to remove my records from the church, knowing that it would be majorly impactful to my family and the way that um, others would treat me. Because as a result of that, I was essentially removing myself from my family for eternity. I would not be living with them in what Mormons refer to as the celestial kingdom, which is the highest kingdom Mm -hmm. um, and living in God's presence. And I was essentially turning my my back away from God and from everything that I knew. And so I was essentially going to be going to hell because of this like decision that I made. Um, but I wanted to, I knew that I was much better outside of it. And I also knew that I didn't want to pass that on to my daughter either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so, it's so big. That's so big. I mean, it's, with the belief of after you pass that there is a family, the, the highest kingdom in heaven, that is a really big deal in the religion and that you had to kind of come to that decision and know that and that know that your family was going to grieve that. Has there been understanding a uh, connection with your family? You know, I, you don't need to share details because I think that's private, but like, 
are they supportive in a way that feels good to you? Are you still working that out? Are you, are they still going through grieving process? What is that like right now? We are navigating very choppy waters and I understand why it's one of the big reasons why I try to make it clear to anyone who chooses to stay that I respect that. And I also to honor people who are choosing to leave, or I can't tell you the number of times people come into my DM saying, this is what I'm experiencing. How did you handle this? And it's a, it's one of the major reasons why I have chosen to be a, a lot more open in my dialogue, not only on Instagram, but coming into podcasts to help people no matter where they're at with whatever religion that they're in, especially if, if they're within Mormonism, because that's my experience, to be able to give them like a sense of validation and a sense of knowing that they're not alone. Uh, and I think that's a really powerful experience because I, I, again, I recognize how hard it is to, to find those types of people that you can turn to. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that I thought that I thought that I could trust and then ultimately realized that they were just trying to bring me back in. And so I have been working actively to give my family the benefit of the way that they are navigating something that's very challenging for them, not only because of me actively removing my records from the church, but also being someone who is very um, adamantly opposed to within their, you know, their indoctrination and, and the thinking that, um, you know, sexuality is a choice. And so we're navigating a lot of new waters in that regard. And so I just, I want to honor anyone who is experiencing these types of things as well, just to recognize like, <laughs> this is messy. And the thing is, it's, it's going to stay messy for a long time, but the, the freedom that comes from it ends up being really powerful, but it's, it's w being willing to engage in something really uncomfortable because it's super comfortable to stay. Okay. I have a question that I want to ask, but we do need to take a quick break. So let's take a quick break. I feel like this episode is the perfect time actually for us to talk about mental health awareness month, which is the month of May. And our favorite sponsors, Ned provides some awesome tools to help you support your mental health. One of those things that we really love is the de-stress blend. You've heard us talk about it before. For me, it's something that I use when I get to the end of the day and I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed, or I know that I'm going to have a tricky bedtime with the kids. Or I also will use it if I have some like some big meeting coming up during the day that I just want to take the edge off of my anxiety or my nervousness. You guys have also heard both Joy and I talking talk about how we both struggle with true anxiety. We've both been on medication for it in the past, and still am. Still, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and these herbs are something that are really can help support that. Herbal remedies are not always a replacement for pharmaceuticals, but they can really help support your system, whether that is something that helps you in more acute scenarios, or it's something that helps support the other things that you're doing for your mental health, like therapy, sometimes like medication, if that's what works for you. And we want to re remove the stigma from all of those options. And we love that Ned provides us with some natural remedies to add to the toolkit. For the month of May, we are really focusing on that mental health month on the de-stress blend. This is a USDA certified organic formula that puts the spotlight on two powerful cannabinoids. You guys know how much I love that word. CBG, which is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. And of course, CBD extracted from the world's purest full spectrum hemp in the Colorado Rockies. 
It also features a botanical infusion of ashwagandha, which is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress and cardamom and cinnamon, which help give it a really nice taste and keep it from like being too skunky as well as cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, which is a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping to reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. So you can support the podcast by supporting our sponsor, Ned, going to helloned.com forward slash joy. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash joy to get 15% off at checkout or use discount code joy. Thank you so much for supporting the brands that support our podcast, support your mental health, add some things to your toolkit. We can't do it alone. And CBD and herbs are really here to help. So thank you, Ned. Back to you, Zach. (laughs) Back to you, Zach. I did have a quick question that I believe we, I asked at the very beginning, but I don't remember us fully answering it, which is fine. We go off on tangents, but do you feel that the Mormon religion is adjusting some of the practices or beliefs around inclusion and diversity? Or do you think that that's just um, not on their radar? PR fodder. Ooh, that's, hmm. uh, I think that they have attempts and then they'll take one step forward, not even at one step, they'll t- like shuffle and then I'll take two steps back. And so every once in a while, you know, I feel like my hopes get up and being able to see that change, not that I would go back, but just for the sake of those who are there who might be in a similar predicament. To sure. Me, yeah. I, I, I personally don't see that as being something that's been happening. I will share a story that I have not shared before, which I, I think is really powerful. So when I came out, one of the decisions that I made was I wanted to, I felt like the need to make some sort of amends with Mormonism. I had a lot of anger towards Mormonism. I acknowledge that. Like I I do. I have been in my angry phase. I have grieved so many parts of my life and even my upbringing because of Mormonism. So it's natural for me to be angry. And one of the ways that I wanted to or chose to be able to make amends was um, something that felt comfortable to me was inviting the Mormon missionaries to come back to my home. And so um, you mean I like did. to your house? house? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, I invited them and it was three sisters or, or women missionaries, or we call them sisters, that came and I, I told them, I said, listen, you're not going to convert me. I'm not coming back. And my objective isn't to bring you back. In, you know, or to, to kick you out of Mormonism either to be able to convince you that you shouldn't stay. This is my purpose here is to try to come up with some way for me to mend this part of me in a way that feels safe. And this is what feels safe to me right, to me right now. And so I had the conversation with these sisters and all three of them said to me, congratulations, like that's such an incredible story. And I look at them and I think, wait, excuse me, like, this isn't the Mormonism that I was in. This is not familiar to me. Like it really threw me off guard. Meaning like their acceptance and right. just love it, was not something that you were ready for that you had correct. been used to. Yeah. Right. And just the fact they're they're telling me congratulations about this part. And I think it was because, you know, these sister missionaries are, I think they're between like 19 and 20 years old. Yeah. When you go on and, a mission, you're 18, 17, 18. Right. Is yeah. That like, that's really the, the usual, I guess you can always go on a mission at any time in your life, but the typical age in Mormonism is right out of high school. Right. Right. And I went after my sophomore year of college. So you kind of get a broad range of people who are right out of um, high school and people who are in college. And the purpose of that really is like, once you get, want, go on your mission, really the expectation is to get married right away, start having kids. 
Correct. Creating that family for the celestial king- kingdom. Right, right. And so, you know, having that dialogue. This is wild him, to me. I just I, usually like, <laughs> that. I don't know any of this. And this is wild to me. Go on. Yeah. No, the number of people who I've made friends over Instagram who are just like, hey, can you tell me more about this? Especially with what's been happening at BYU. Um, Under the Banner of Heaven just came out yeah, on Hulu. That Hulu came out. Yeah. The right. And so, novel. Yeah. and so people are asking me like, hey, is this, what does this mean? And I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll like field all of your questions. They're like, is this traumatic for you? I was like, no, this actually educates you and like what's, what happens by the end of the conversation with these sister missionaries, it had been about an hour. And one of the missionaries, she had never told anyone other than her bishop, but she came out as bi sexual in this meeting and her companions didn't know it was a really powerful moment that she felt safe enough with me to be able to share that knowing that her companions had known that that there really is potential for impact on what it has for her oh my god based on what you said before too about like the culture at school where it's like you were just waiting always felt like you were waiting to get told on and like, you're constantly looking over your shoulder thinking like, if I say or do the wrong thing, is there like a watchdog who's going to report me? And right. so I don't, I don't want to like get too into the nitty gritty, but I'm, and if you're comfortable sharing, I'm just curious, yeah. like what's the type of stuff that would happen if you were sort of quote unquote reported? Oh, you'd get generally kicked out or put on probation. Yeah. Or do you have to go to a bishop and talk to the bishop? Yes. Yeah. So you're, so the bishop is like the head of, of, of a, one of the church, like a, the church you go to the congregation. It's like, a, congregation. like a pastor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you're in a ward and you're in like a, that's like, Oh, what ward are you in is like, kind of like what neighborhood do you live in is kind of right. thing. And so you would go to the bishop and the bishop would probably guide you on what to do and pray. And, you know, I heard you talk about this in other interviews too, of basically being like, you know, if you get married and have a kid, you'll like, this will lead you down the path of like what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Correct. Before. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. So I was just curious, like for that woman's experience, like the risk that she's taking to say this in front of a group, the group that like, she's kind of supposed to be working with. Right. Um. Yeah. Really profound. Yeah. And so I just felt this sense of, you know, this is the generation coming up in the church, like that's talking to people. So not only were they honoring my experiences, but one of them was willing, like courageous enough to be able to share, like, I'm bisexual, like I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Here's some struggles that I have. And even her companions, they didn't, they did not seem upset by what she just shared. They didn't seem like they were up in arms and they continued to come for some time. And so I don't think that the change is happening from the top down. I think it's grassroots. I think it's what's becoming more acceptable. For sure. That and, makes sense. And I also think it is very dependent upon what area you grow up in. You know, growing up in Mesa, highly predominant. The way that that's managed, I think, is very different. Growing up in Utah and Idaho is probably the same. One of my close friends who is um, who grew up in California, her dad was a branch president, which is like a smaller version of a ward, um, just not as many people. And they grew up in San Francisco. And so she grew up going to church, um, she said, with lots of gays. They were drag queens in their congregation. And so like those types of experiences that she had were very different from mine. So when she went to BYU, it was a complete culture shock to her because that was not the Mormonism that she was raised in. She grew up in a very liberal, like accepting version of right, more inclusive. Mormonism. Yes. Yeah. And so I think that the change isn't going to come necessarily from the top down and until you see how many people are leaving Mormonism 
or are just not being active participants anymore. I also think that there are a lot more Mormons who are willing to still be involved in some way, just not to the extent that they were. And they're a lot more willing to just be like, I want to pick and choose these things that I believe in. And I'm also going to say, that doesn't sit well with me. I'm going to be okay with that. Personally, I can't manage that type of mental gymnastics or that type of like buffet style of religion. Correct. Yeah. That's not that's not me, but that's also not my life or my decision. So I honor people, again, who choose to stay, who can acknowledge the complexity in that. And I think that's really important. And the, you know, the basis of the religion is there's love and there's a lot of goodness and there's a lot of really, it, there's nothing to say that there's like bad people by any means. A lot of my best friends I still hang out with every year go and want to go home or Mormon. Like, so right. that's really important to note that this is not any kind of like ill intention, but the effect that it can have when you are, when your worldview is very small. And that's kind of what it does is it really makes your world very small. Um, I say that because, you know, even the friends when I go home, if I talk about things that are like social justice issues or anything that's kind of like out of that circle of knowledge, it's kind of, it's, it's, the responses are very limited, meaning like, oh, your bubble's super small and you don't think beyond that, not out of like ill intention, but just not being exposed to it. And that's what is, I believe, where the change needs to happen is the people who are, you know, the grassroots of saying, hey, we got to start looking at these things because the world is so much bigger. It probably comes from a fear of change that, you know, that type of uh, thinking, you're not, you don't want change, you don't want different. But that is where I think it, it needs to happen is for people to start speaking up. And, you know, why aren't we being inclusive? What is the harm there? And so those conversations that need to happen. I really agree with that sentiment. One of the other kind of powerful things that I think is happening because of social media, because of this student at BYU more recently, and then you know, there's black menaces on TikTok, which I know both of you are really opposed to TikTok because I send you the videos that I like. But um, what I'll do Thanks is... Thanks to everyone who curates TikTok for us so that yes, we don't yeah. have to go on there. Exactly. And I don't know if they have an Instagram. I haven't looked, but it's black students at BYU because I don't know if many people know, you know, blacks couldn't hold the priesthood in Mormonism until the 80s. I mean, they, they say it was revelation that they were allowed to be able to do it, but it was pushback. And revelation meaning... Right. Re meaning it was God who said right. that. Just like Someone, a Mormon, yes. like an iOS update for Mormonism. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's yes. exactly yeah. that. And so that yeah, was changed in the 80s. I mean, so soon following the civil rights movement, et cetera. I, it took a while. But it's these Black students at BYU who are asking questions about Blacks and gays on BYU campus and, and really putting these students in a very uncomfortable predicament to them and talking to them about these social justice issues and racial justice issues and then posting it for the world to see. And it's, I mean, it's That's incredible amazing. to be able yeah. to see because there is now becoming a very public reconciliation on how harmful these types of um, doctrines and dialogue can really have and how it impacts a lot of people. Well, the hard part about this and not just Mormonism, but with any religion is when things like this come come up, it is talk up talked about in the context of the religion. Well, well, this is just the devil trying to infiltrate uh, the work that we're trying to do in this world. And that is just so dangerous thinking because then that messes up, you know, and if you were raised in this religion, that's all you know. And so you're like, oh, yeah, that's this must be the devil testing me. 
that I, you know, I have to be, and then it kind of grounds them even more to be like, well, I gotta, this is where I get right, to like, like stand in my truth and you have to, like, lock double it down in, on double it. down on it. And that's where it gets really dangerous because then you're so, I hate to say the word brainwashed, but I, I can't think of a better word right now is like where you can't see anything else. And that's, that's where it scares me that this will continue. So, uh, you know, my guess is when these people do those TikToks and do the questioning, people probably are like deer in the headlights, but also then strengthening their faith using maybe some, maybe some question it if they do have the curiosity to ask questions and to look beyond their lens. But I think that that's where it gets dangerous with people that double down and, and strengthen it, strengthen their faith more. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. I was one of those people, you know, Fair. I, I, and not only because then was, I, I mean, I was jeopardizing everything that I was working towards. If I were to question that, then it's just like, well, then I'm not going to Exactly. If you question it, then their whole life is a lie. Like in a way, I'm not saying like, but in a way your whole life, you, that and that is so scary. And no wonder, it's, like the, when you're saying like 34 years of this and how kind of like unlearning is just very profound. Right. And so that's one of the big reasons why I think it's important to kind of share these experiences and and why I don't want to place judgment on people who choose to stay. Because again, there are a lot of really beautiful things about Mormonism, about religion. But again, you can't acknowledge the beauty without acknowledging the fact the damage. that it can, it, it can be damaging to someone else. And it's the same statement. It can be super p- powerful to someone and just be the downfall to someone else. Right. So let's talk really quickly because we're almost out of time today. And I think this deserves a, a much longer conversation. So we de- we definitely don't want to like cut this off. And I think it would be lovely to keep talking about this and have you back for more discussion around this, really just in terms of like identity and how we move on and how we work through this and how we heal. And I still want to talk about like mental health. We've had you, we like, we're like, oh, we're going to talk about diet culture today. No, not one, yeah. not one word has been uttered about <laughs> diet culture. Literally what I came prepared to talk about. <laughs> we, we haven't even right. gotten there. I'm more than All happy right. to come back and talk, talk more. It's a, I'm not mad. Listen, I'm not mad. <laughs> I just completely derailed all of this. But, okay, um, I have to say this out loud on, on the air because yesterday, Joy and I were sort of texting about like, hey, what are we going to talk to Zach about? And I was like, you know, I have some questions in mind. Like we can kind of keep it to like, you know, if we don't want to dive too far into Mormonism, because I was like, at first I said, you know, Joy, you guys can sort of uh, connect about your upbringing in Mesa. And she was like, well, that's a can of worms. I was like, well, we can, you know, kind of keep the question structured. So as soon as we started... I texted Joy and I was like, Claire, let's keep the question structured. Joy, okay, but how are you? (laughs) I mean, really? You threw that? And I was like, oh boy, it's a good thing I had breakfast because I have a lot, you know. I I was like, Joy, stick to the brief. It's okay. Well, it's okay. When I was like, wow, this took a serious turn and, you know, I'm not mad about it because it's, you know, it's my reality. Like, I'm all about giggles and shit and fun. Like, that's me times a thousand. Like, if you know me, if you engage with me, like, give me all the laughs. But, you know, I have therapy on Thursday. I had life coaching on Friday. So I'm in, like, life, like, figure out mode figure right out now. Mode, yeah. So I laid in bed the last two hours thinking about everything I've talked about in therapy and life coaching. And I'm just kind of like, oh, okay. Pump is primed. 
Yes, yep, it is. for it. It was just meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then sometimes it just kind of goes to a place of like, I feel like this is important right now. And May is Mental Health Month. And this is... So I'd be remiss to not bring up the mental health piece. But I think it's just... Um, so two things. I, one is very random. The other is about mental health. But one that I, I just have such a hard time with, and I'd love to get your take on it, is your personal opinion, your personal feelings around it is, you know, so I watched the um, coming out Colton documentary series, which was amazing. Did you watch that by chance? I started it, but it was at a time where it was still you very t- triggering. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I was not in the right space yeah, to watch it. To- totally. It w- and it was hard to watch as just a straight chick who's just like never had to deal with anything like this, but it was really hard to watch. And so I, I imagine that would not be something you can watch right now, but basically the sentiment we've all heard before when friends say, and Colton's strict, stricter uh, practicing Christian. And so has a lot of Christian friends and people who have those belief systems around him. And he's very close to and it was really hard for me to watch when his friends, when he told his friends, uh, his friends were like, yeah, buddy, yeah, you know, like, good for you. I don't agree with your lifestyle, but we still love you. And that just makes my skin crawl. And Colton, you could see the struggle within to be like, I love my religion and my friends. And how do I marry that together to where I can keep my identity? I want to stand in this identity and in my truth, but also have friends around me that are like the whole, well, I just don't agree with with your lifestyle, lifestyle, by the way, what the hell does that mean? Your lifestyle, but we still love you. I don't know. That just some, that's something that makes my skin crawl. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, that's literally my lived experience as well. So I understand that. And so I'm going to bring it into two parts. You know, one of the big reasons why we struggle, why I can't, and I can't talk collectively. I'll talk about my own experience. Why I struggled with coming out obviously was acceptance. Mm -hmm, The -hmm. reason why I got in the predicament that I was in is because all I wanted was to be accepted. And so I did everything in my power to please everyone else so I could be accepted. And despite all of that, like I could not meet that mold. So one of the biggest fears by coming out was me being rejected. I was by a lot of people, a lot of people that I loved, that I cared about, that I thought were my friends or my family. And so when someone says, we're so happy for you, but we don't agree with the decision that you make, you are reinforcing the worst fear that we have because on some level you are still rejecting us. Right. I can't tell you how I feel like how easy it could have been for me to try to step back into that closet because that is, that's comfortable. And I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of, a lot of parts that I miss about that comfort, but that being said, I, so I recognize why people say that. And I want you to know that that is harmful to us, but the way that I try to mitigate that is with those people that are are still deciding to be participants in my life or that I'm allowing to be participants in my life. I want them to see how I am actually a better person by being exactly who I am. And the way that I can best honor myself is by accepting myself and not seeking for their acceptance. And if they see that light and that growth and that um, happiness that comes as a result of that, and they, then they get to benefit from that. But if they choose not to, then that's that's them. And one of the big lessons that I've been learning that I've been working on is I am in worth of I'm like of inherent worth and love. And someone's and so I am immediately lovable. And someone's inability to, to love me 
is has nothing to do with my worth or my lovability. It has to do with their capacity to love me. Yes. And their and, judgments and their, yep. And so if they choose to say, we love you, but we can't accept this part of you, then they are choosing not to love me in a way that is possible to them. And I have to honor that and also not work to not let that impact me to deny myself or to not accept myself. Yes. Yeah. It's the piece of not taking that on that is on them, not on you. And like that must just tie so much back to what we were talking about earlier around what we've talked about a lot in this episode around that, like if there, if something, if you have a question or if you see an inconsistency, like that is your fault. And that like the information that is being presented to you is the truth. You know, it's up to you to reconcile yourself to fit that box, not the other way around. Right. And I think I can just imagine that that feels so similar to like, if someone comes to you and says, okay, well, this 20% of you is fine. But this other 80% of you is like, I'm not so into that. Your knee jerk reaction would be like, okay, well, let me just clean that up real quick. Yes. And, and pausing myself and realizing who is the, who is the benefit, who benefits from this. And the more as being someone who's denied myself by putting my own priorities first for so long, Again, that's uncomfortable. That's really uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working through that and, and recognizing that's a them thing. And that's for them to be able to take on. That's not my responsibility. So finally, talking about mental health and how important it is to take care of your mental health. I also think about people who probably who may be more isolated, who don't have people to talk to. There have been a lot of tragic endings to people's lives because they weren't able to talk about it. And it's so difficult. I look at you and when this was all going on and I was, you know, watching this through social media, obviously it wasn't like I was like walking next to you as a, as a human, but um, like in person, but I, I was so excited and so happy and like, oh, so it's like this joyful feeling as someone like on the outside, but I also recognize like how much pain has been collected throughout your life to come to this point. Well, while it's it's seen as like a celebration to the outsiders and the people who are witnessing your journey, recognizing how much pain and still there's pain. So how do you how would you recommend or like advice you'd give maybe to someone who's struggling with some similar things? Not to say they have to do exactly, but what is the things looking back that you're like, really make sure you take care of this or make sure you're talking to somebody or if you don't feel safe, who can you go to? I will tell you what, from one perspective, one of the things that I appreciated the most was when this was happening, one of the first questions that people would ask me is, are you safe? And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that question. Um, I know, Claire, you were one of the first people that I told, and you were one of the first people to ask me if I was safe. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that. And so when you know that someone is going through these types of experiences, we generally just need someone to ask us if we're safe. And that gave me a sense of hope in recognizing that, again, things weren't okay, but they would be. And so if you know someone is going through these types of really life-changing experiences, asking if they're safe. And I think that's really key because the reality was until it came out, suicide seemed like a reasonable option to me and I didn't feel safe. And so that's what I would say first. From my perspective, I wish that I had seen a mental health practitioner a lot sooner and a lot more often and one that wasn't associated with my religion or with someone who specialized in religious trauma, but was not 
there with the hopes that you would stay or that you would would then use that that tool to be able to convince you to stay. Right. And and not to interrupt you, but I do I'll post resources in the show notes for therapy. I think that's an important point you bring up is that if you are struggling with religious trauma, there are therapists that specialize in treating religious trauma and never, ever, ever, ever should you be in a session where the therapist is guiding you back to something like that or trying to, I mean, and I know that in Mormonism, it's very much like, well, you go to the counselor of your bishop or someone in your church to help you. And that is so, I can't, there's so many levels of wrong with that, that I can't even... (laughs) can't even talk yeah. about it. But the, because really what it's doing is keeping you in the trauma where you need someone who's objective, who has nothing to do with that church to guide you with a more objective view. I completely agree with that. I mean, I still have the books from my therapist when I was in college that are entitled things like you don't have to be gay. These are resources that I got from my therapist. And so... I think that's why it's really important to either specialize with someone who does it or, I mean, fortunately, two of my therapists, they may not be trained in it and that's actually okay with me because they don't have any of the bias that might come with religion either, just religion as a whole, let alone the religion that I was raised in. I am a big believer in using medication if you need it. There have been many times in my life where I have needed (laughs) those types of we're raising the roof. And I've been in a fortunate place where after I came out about a week later, I got off of the medications that I was on. And that was in coordination with my doctor. That was not like a, a personal decision that I made. It was, I talked to my doctor about it and we made the determination that I could be taken off of them. And I was realized that that's where much of my anxiety and my depression was coming from. Do I still have anxiety attacks? Yep, sure do. You know, but I'm like working through other skills and other resources to be able to manage those. They're just not the level that they were before. I think one of the other aspects is finding people that you feel comfortable with, that you can talk to your therapy session. You know, if you are able to afford therapy is normalizing therapy. The amount of conversations that I have with my really close friends about, Hey, this is what my therapist said. And you know, these types of things are just like, Hey, and I was telling my therapist this, you know, like, which by normal- the way, it never gets, it, it, it always feels weird when people tell me that they're like, Oh, my friends and my husband that I talk about, it's weird for therapists to hear that you, they, they talk about you to your friends and husband or partner or whatever. Like I had a member the other day, a client the other day, it was like, yeah, my husband said I need to come talk to you because I've been really moody. I'm like, you talk about me. It's really, it's like, we'll never get used to that. <laughs> but for me, it's like, the, not that it's always applicable, but one of my best friends that I met through Instagram, she tells me all sorts of things that her therapist tells her. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's really applicable here. And then I'll do the same thing. She's like, oh, I love that reframe, you know, because we both were experiencing religious trauma in very different ways. And so um, I think that that's a, another really powerful tool is if you feel confident enough um, and courageous enough, because it does take courage talking about your mental health and being open about that and the resources that you use, because you're normalizing it for other people. And that's why even as a man, you know, I can't speak for all men, but it's a tool that generally men don't use and they don't talk about. And even though I'm a gay man, it doesn't really make a difference because Men absolutely need therapy rather than buying Twitter. Oh, burn Elon Musk. I think actually what I also want to say to that is like, you don't have to go through, like we talk about this a lot 
where I'll bring up like a postpartum experience or something. And a lot of times people will talk about therapy in the, when like a really serious issue comes up. And we, we always like to say is like, there is no minimum qualification for going to therapy, being a human and, you know, being forced to endure the human experience is enough of a minimum qualification. You don't have to be in a situation where you feel that your life is at risk. You don't have to be, you know, please don't wait till it gets to that point. I know that's something that I've dealt with in the past where suddenly I was like, oh, I just, I just shouldn't want to end my life. That's a red flag. It's like, there were a lot of other red flags before that. And I wish I had, it had been, I think it's getting so much more normalized, but that's so different just even in the last five years. And so I hope that people listening to this, you know, you don't have to have like this, you don't have to have trauma. You don't have to have this like dramatic sort of coming out experience. You don't have to be just, you know, you don't have to disown your you community have to be at the level of like hospitalization. You, you yeah, can just go before, to a therapist. You can just go to a therapist. Like right. there is no minimum qualification for therapy and no therapist is ever going to be like, oh, you're not, they're not going to no. like think, oh, you're, they're not going to compare you to their no. other clients. No. I'll get, I'll get clients who are like, is this an okay thing to talk about in therapy or is this enough? And I'm like, you just being here is cool. Like, why are we, we're, we don't judge. There's a zero, it's a zero judgment zone. And any therapist who makes you feel like you're judged, like bye, go to someone else. The amount of petty things that I'd like take as petty, but I realize are actually deep rooted in something else. I mean, that's the thing. Like I've talked about super petty shit. And then, you know, five minutes later, I'm crying, crying about something that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that those were related. You know what I mean? Like it might seem petty, but then you kind of get down the rabbit hole and you're like, oh. Oh, this is actually about like something way bigger. I, I, Brandon and I are in like regular couples counseling and that always happens where I'll be like, we'll start with being like, oh, we had a fight about who's going to pick up the kids. And next thing we know, it's like, oh, well, this is related to this like much bigger thing from your childhood. And I'm like, ah, damn it. Yep. Nope. That's a thousand percent. It usually happens. The petty stuff happens when I go with no plan. Like I was like, I don't really don't have anything to talk to my therapist about. And then always. it starts with something petty. Those and are always the I, best sessions. I feel the most broken afterwards. I was like, okay, we've got a lot of reworking <laughs> to do here. <laughs> so We are really out of time. <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. I know listeners, Zach, we're definitely going to have to have you back. Maybe one day we'll get to talking about diet culture. Uh, Zach also has his whole other alter ego of being a, a fitness and nutrition. You're a fit fluencer. A fit fluencer. Oh, gosh. Fitspo. Sometimes I'll joke with my colleagues. I'm like, I'm in my alternate ego as a fitness influencer. Um, and they're like, you're not wrong. Like, so you do have this, this other, other, other alter ego as a fitness and nutrition influencer. And we'd love to talk to you about diet culture. One day we would love to talk to you about, I would love to talk to you about parenting, just all the things. And um, we really value your insight and your perspective. And it's been so great to chat with you. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, Instagram would be the best place to be able to find me. And what I always warn people is you're literally going to see all parts of my life there. You are going to see me talking about religious deconstruction. You're going to see me talking out against things that I see problematic within Mormonism. You're going to see me talk about being a gay man and even what it's like being in the culture of being a gay man. Maybe I'll share with you some of my dating experiences. You'll also get uh, diet culture type messages. You'll, um, I am, a I consider myself to be a nutrition educator. And uh, then you'll also see pictures of my daughter and, you know, random pictures of new tattoos or nose rings or whatever else have you. So you're going to get it all. You're going to see everything. So you the can top see half of your chest. Yeah. Yes. The, the reverse crop top is actually the more appropriate 
term, yeah. Oh, I love that the reverse crop top. Yeah. So, but you can find me on Instagram at motion sustained, M O T I O N S U S T A I N E D. It sounds like a, yes, it sounds like a Fergie song, first of all, when you spell it out like that. Um, but then, yeah, it's a legal pun with a legal phrase when a, you know, motion is sustained, but then also I work in wellness. So continuous motion. motion. It's the best. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love a pun. I would just like to say really quick, thank you for normalizing soda or Diet Coke or whatever you drink. What do you drink every day? I So it's usually Diet Dr. Pepper okay, because they Dr. have those on tap here at yeah. the McDonald's. That's not universal. So okay. Okay. I know where all the McDonald's are in Lincoln, Nebraska, but yes, I will. I love that it. about you. I think that's, I love people who know where to go to get either their donuts or like the drive through people. I'm not like a drive through person, but I love people who are like every day I go get my Diet Coke or I go get my donut through the drive through. I'm like, I love you. The people that do that, I think are the best people. Yeah. I, <laughs> Thank I, you for I, normalizing that. I pretty standard things like. I know where to go get my donuts. If and that was another, we can talk about at another time. Like I will normalize eating donuts. I will normalize drinking diet soda. Yeah. I will normalize hot dogs. I have a hot dog tattoo so we can normalize hot dogs. Anyways, it's fine. Claire has but, a croissant tattoo. Let's yeah. normalize croissants. Yeah. Let's normalize food tattoos. How about that? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm going to get a whole, it's going to be a whole like menagerie of critters with baked goods. My next one is going to be an otter laying on its back, holding a bowl of soup. <sighs> and then I'm going to get a snake so wrapped around a baguette. I'm just, there, I have a whole plan. <laughs> I mean, you helped inspire me to get a nose ring. So here we are. We're just inspiring each other in all these other ways. We're going to be so stylish and cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Listeners, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining us for another week. Uh, Joy and I will, I think, probably be back next week with some some JNC. Maybe. I don't even know. I don't know what our calendar looks like, but you know what? May is friendship month. We're talking to our friends. Yes. Which is apropos that it is also Mental Health Awareness Month because those things are just hand in hand. They are spooning. Important. You can find us on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. You can go to our website, joyandclaire.com. It's had a facelift. It's just delightful over there. It actually is so, 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 so. I so thought cute. you said how to facelift and I was like, that's what I doing, thought too. Are we doing that? It is had a facelift. You will not find instructions on how to facelift. Sorry for disappointing you on that. Don't forget to support our sponsor, Ned. That's helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com. Discount code JOY for 15% off your order. Support your mental health with some herbs and CBD. And we will talk to you next Thursday, just like every Thursday. Every, forever and ever forever and, and ever. ever. Amen. <laughs> that was appropriate. That was. Okay. It was. A, or a women. A, a women. men and a women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.